Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing Podcast, Rooster Road Trip Edition, day number three. We've got uh, a group gathered around to talk about the wind. Because we got wind? we got blown all over the place today. If you were anywhere near, I guess any, I, I'm assuming anywhere near western or southern Minnesota, <laughs> hold on to your hat. But isn't it always windy here? Isn't there some lake um, in southwestern Minnesota that holds the record for like the the strongest winds in the continental? Well, US look or look at the locals. Like we got Jeff Davis, who's the. Uh, uh, President, right, with the um, Buffalo Ridge chapter of Pheasants Forever and Tanner Bruce, um, Precision Ag. Well, what is your new title? What is your title these days? Hagen Conservation Program Manager okay. for Minnesota. It's hard to keep up. Every time I have you on, you get a new title. <laughs> All right, so answer, uh, answer Andrew's question about uh, wind. Well, I don't know about the lake, but you are sitting on the Buffalo Ridge, and the Buffalo Ridge is the... Average wind speed on the Buffalo Ridge, I think, is 17. Hmm. So, but yeah, we're well known for our wind out here in western South Dakota. For folks that aren't from Minnesota, they maybe have never, or the Dakotas, maybe never heard of Buffalo Ridge. What is Buffalo Ridge? Well, that's a good question, and I don't know if I really have a professional answer for you. That's all right. What, what do the locals say? Uh, so the ridge kind of starts up in uh, north of Hendricks okay. in that area. And runs down through Pipestone and Nobles and Rock County down through there. And so I guess if geographically or topographically, if you looked at it, you could somewhat see that, that ridge and, and where the wind goes. And, and actually, my personal opinion is you can see the break from here to Marshall, Minnesota. Hmm. And, you know, so what the weather is here may not necessarily be what the weather is in Marshall. Changes with the snap of your fingers. Really? Yeah. Yep. All because of the ridge. Well, the ridge. Huh. I, for some reason, I thought it went further north. Like it ran uh, along the kind of the South Dakota border, even up to the North Dakota border. You, you could be very right. Okay. Well, uh, where's the name Buffalo come from? N- no idea? Just No. Okay. Because it, it, it certainly, I, I believe that the stat, it's, it's one of the top five windiest places in North America is Buffalo Ridge. Does that sound right? It Have you heard right. that stat before? God's country. <laughs> God's that's, country. We all walk a little sideways around here. So. <laughs> well, that's, that's exactly why uh, leading up to today's hunt, when I saw some of the locals commenting on the wind, I was like, well, this must be a doozy. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's always windy yeah. out here. This is real wind. <laughs> this, this was a really windy day. <laughs> 20 mile an hour, you know. That's pretty average. Uh, what, did you look, Jeff, uh, more recently this afternoon, uh, what the wind speed projected was today? Well, they, they said, when I checked right when we left uh, the Rook, and the gusts were 45. <laughs> and, and it felt like every yeah, bit of that. Yeah, minor we, details. Yeah, when we were coming across and you've seen, well, you could see how the corn stalks are starting to build up in the fence rows and and the corn stalks are moving and i think you were talking about the harvest haze right and so you know i've i've been around here for about 18 years now so i should probably know more about the buffalo ridge since i live on it but um you could very well be right that it does start up in parts of north dakota and come all the way down and i i 
Tanner, does it go past Minnesota out? I don't think it does. I'm not not 100% sure. Yeah. I think I got to. What we know for sure is it's damn windy here. (laughs) (laughs) I I was impressed. I've never, I don't think I've ever hunted anything in in gusts like that before. And you have this mixture of like nervous laughter or like, man, what are we doing? And with like, no, we're like, we're like, what are we doing? It was one of those moments where you had to wear glasses because, you know, the, the corn stubble was almost like shrapnel mm. being thrown in your face. You couldn't walk with your mouth open because <laughs> something would probably get stuck in it. Um, and then trying to locate a bird when the grass is just nonstop <laughs> waving in front of you. And then you're not going to be able to hear the flush because you can't hear anything. You can't communicate with anybody in line. Um, it was it was chaos, um, mm-hmm. but luckily it, it built up to chaos. We were able to sneak in, um, you know, a hunt or two before the wheels kind of fell off as we pushed forward. Yeah, so, so start, I mean, you have a be- beautiful place up here on the ridge, and we, we started with um, some amazing cinnamon rolls, homemade cinnamon rolls this morning, yeah. and the drive, we looked at the clock, and it was, I think, 8.30, then 8.40, we're a little antsy, and you're like, no, we can take our time. I'm like, it's 9 o'clock start yet. You're like, yeah, we're close. <laughs> okay. How far did we drive from your place to where we first hunted? Half a mile. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us why you picked that other than its proximity. And it was a waterfowl production area. Waterfowl production area, and actually that was a piece that uh, PF got – three years ago, I believe, is hmm. when they started to pick it up. And it is, it's been one of my favorite pieces since I moved here. Hmm. Um, it's been on in CRP uh, since the day I landed here and probably was, you know, probably in the late 80s, I would assume. And it, it's always been one of my favorite pieces. It, it always holds birds in certain places. And, you know, it's kind of a personal spot on there uh, from the standpoint of, you know, where that draw comes through. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can always say there's going to be birds somewhere close to that. And then when we came up on the road or close to the road, it always seems like on the top of that hill along the fence line there, there's always a few birds in there. So you weren't wrong. <laughs> I wasn't wrong. Let's start with down in the, the um, kind of the valley first. Because yep. it was you and Megan. Megan joined us for part of the day and Andrew. Yep. And I think that's on Instagram now, isn't it? Or is that, are you saving that? Nope, that, that's, on, that's on Instagram. Okay. Yeah. So, Andrew, you, you must not have shouldered the shotgun if you're shooting with your phone. No, I was, I was following the dogs. I was following my dog in a completely different direction. And then I, I heard behind me him, him kind of go, hey, Megan. I'm like, huh. And I turn around, and his dog is just rock solid on point. And I'm like, okay. This, this is going to be good. So I just watched them slowly walk in. I just pulled up my phone because I was nowhere near it. And this, is, this looked like the perfect moment of, of two hunters kind of colliding on a dog that I got to give you credit. He held point for 45 seconds, 60 seconds. Yep, good point. Um, good point. Until uh, her Brock uh, came in, and that was just too much pressure for the bird, mm. and, and it erupted, and, and she smacked it. Yeah. It was, it was, there was no doubt. <laughs> so that was, that was pretty – that was pretty fun to watch, and that was a great way to start the day. Yep. And Megan, if you're listening, thank you very much for joining us. She she bagged the first rooster two days in a row, and we needed her dead eye today. We did, absolutely. <laughs>
so your first spot on that WPA produced, and then we got to your second spot on that WPA, and there was a bird there too, more yep. or less, that yep. right area. Yep. And that bird was pointed, and it was missed by a couple of us, <laughs> me included. <laughs> My track record continues. <laughs> but all told, we probably put up... I don't know. Three was it? Three roosters and was, half dozen hens, something like that. That, that sounds about right. Because yeah. once we got to the top of that hill and started working the fence line, that I couldn't see over the top because it's still a little below. But maybe there's beans or cut beans or something on the other side. The dogs started going crazy, and you know Baxter actually managed to hold a point on a bird. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a hen pheasant, and that made me you know ecstatic. And then another one got up. Mm-hmm. And then another one got up, and then it was clear that you know we were probably going to be pushing birds all the way down uh, into the next ravine. And that's, that's what happened. Yeah. It was, it was a lot of fun. And as you drive, we, we've driven to a number of different spots all within, I don't know, maybe 20 miles, 15, 20 miles of your, your homestead here. And we passed up a whole bunch of WMAs, WPAs, walk-in areas out here. And we're, we're in right on the edge between Lincoln and Lyon County in uh, Minnesota. So you have a unique vantage point, Jeff, living out here with all this public ground. And you work in the ag industry, uh, right? right? Name of the company you work for? I work for Prairie Green Partners out of Clarkfield, Minnesota. Prairie Green Partners. So Mm -hmm. Clarkfield, how far is that from your home? Uh, 38 miles from here to home. So you see a lot of these public areas to and from. Mm -hmm. How much pressure from public hunters do you see um to and from home i'm assuming you know primarily you're driving monday morning before opening bell right so you probably don't see hunters but then maybe monday through friday coming home you might have the chance to see hunters it it really depends on the time of year you know Hmm. so the the first part of season you'll see trucks around you know and we're coming up on mea weekend or whatever Mm -hmm. that's always a big weekend for you know, you'll see a lot of trucks around. Um, and then, you know, as the weather gets a little more difficult, they start to fall off. Mm. And usually by, you know, mid-November or Thanksgiving, it's, you just don't see the people. Really? Okay. Too much. Yeah. And, you know, depending on, on how well it's been, I mean, last year there was a couple Saturdays that, you know, if you didn't have your spot picked out, you were probably not going to get a spot. How early? Uh, you know, Quite honestly, uh, if you were there at eight thirty, you were you'd get it at by eight thirty. Eight thirty five, you might be in trouble. You might be in trouble, and huh. you know, like I said, those two Saturdays, it seemed like, <clears throat> you know, if you found a spot and you hunted that spot and you moved to another, you'd probably have to move two or three times just to find something that was open. Mm. Um, and so there was a busy couple weeks last year, even though we didn't have the greatest conditions, right. you know. But the season was kind of late and we had a couple of really nice weekends there in late October. I know for opener in Lyon County, um, went out and there was a lot of traffic, a lot of orange, Yeah, which is great for the local economy, obviously. What's the um, percentage bird number up, bird numbers are up in 100. 146% in this area. We didn't see that today. <laughs> no, no. Um, but have you seen that on a, a – so we're only a couple of days into the season, opening weekend. Let's be honest. We we hunted fair amount today, 
but it did gust 45 degrees, 45 miles per hour. So it wasn't ideal condition. And what do you right? think the humidity was? Uh, close to zero, right? Yeah. I, although it, it was pretty humid right away. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I mean, clearly, the weather's changing big time right now. Yeah. Um, we and this cold fronts come in, temperatures have dropped, humidity has dropped, in the wind. <laughs> Wind has gone the other Wind direction. But so you saw a lot of hunters opening weekend. And a lot of hunters are some Wisconsin plates. Hmm. It was great to see Wisconsin plates and, and PF stickers in the back window. Um, it was so stinking dry hmm. around here. I mean, birds can hide in the cattails, which typically this time of year they can't. Um, scent for a dog is just rough to find right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could see where they'd get birdie where a bird was – potentially sitting and you know it runs off and and dogs are just having a hard time around here yeah saturday morning was a lot similar to today because me and my son got to go opening day and you know between 9 and 10 30 seen a fair number of birds and had some decent dog work um you know and and then by 11 o'clock it was warming up and Mm -hmm. you know we kind of scratched things off at 12 30 came home and had a little lunch and couple beverages and you know we went back out about 4 30 but we really didn't find any birds again until about almost probably 6 6 30 mm. and uh you're exactly right tanner for a dog today they earned their keep cause yes unless there was actually you know some type of urine scent or something mm. that was about all they really had to go by yeah it was tough condition it was tough yeah it was tough. so i th- i think about the opener the opening weekend and it was warm right there's also a heck of a lot of crops still in on opener so for folks that are listening to this podcast let's say they they'll listen to it on Thursday morning or or Friday there's lots of reasons to get jacked up about the coming week and weekend because i think my prediction is this coming weekend if the weather, the wind calms down just a little bit, it it's could, down to normal, 20 mile an hour. Or, or, or let's go with the average of 17, right? Great. It'd be wonderful, right? But I think it's going to be the best hunting weekend for pheasants in the state of Minnesota for the 20 season, 2020 season, because the crops have been coming out left and right i mean folks saw it opening weekend they saw crops being harvested but here we are on wednesday and jeff i mean you work in the ag industry and the percentage of beans and percentage of corn that you think are out today well 95 or 98 percent of the beans are out and i did a pretty good survey yesterday um we were we probably got maybe 40 percent of the corn left to go and they're knocking out 10% a day. I mean, Is that right? Oh, 10% yeah. a day. So here we so 60% as of Wednesday, another 10 Thursday, another 10 Friday. So you think by by the time we get to Saturday it'll be close to 80% out? Yeah, it's going to be you get past this weekend the farmers going to be pretty well on the backside of anything. Mm. And you know, there's there's always going to be stragglers and sure. you know, this and that, but I would say, you know, like you're talking about this weekend, but you get the next weekend, you'll have to walk a ways to find a corn stalk. Wow. And that's 
this year it's just simply drier Drier. than it. I mean, last year was the other extreme, right? Exactly. Uh, But this is significantly earlier than normal, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, our harvest hours, I would say after the 24th or so, we probably won't have to be have have harvest hours. I mean, you always have to monitor that, of Mm. course, but... You know, we kind of got started around the 22nd of September with some early bean harvest type of thing. And, you know, they'll run a couple of days and then it slows down and then they kind of hit them hard. And, you know, the farmer just, it's, it's been good for him. I mean, we've had a half inch of rain in the last 20 days. Hmm. And um, with the machinery and stuff these guys have and the facilities, He's been able to walk through it pretty well. Mm. And it, it's a very nice crop. The quality is great. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. So you work in the ag industry. All these farmers are getting their their beans are mostly out. Corn's coming out. Tanner, you wrote a blog on the website today called Living the, the Rural Lifestyle. Yep. And it ties directly to what Jeff's talking about. Give us a kind of your... Oh, give us an abstract narrative of your blog that folks can read in detail. But what's your perspective as a person that grew up in this part of the world and sits in front of me wearing blaze orange? Well, Bob, I'd say kind of the moral of the story. Um, And this comes from me as I was younger and then today, some of the friends that I have. Um, Many of them will toast to the end of harvest. Next comes the blaze orange. And they're either, you know, chasing deer, chasing pheasants, whatever it may be. Um, There's just that connection and appreciation, I would say, um, that comes from the land itself and just a desire to go out and enjoy their property, right? So Mm. they conserve it and protect it. Uh, They also go out and enjoy it in the fall with their friends and family and and make memories. How how old are you, Tanner? How old? Yeah. It's, this is a trick question. 30, <laughs> well, I had to think for a minute. <laughs> After 30, I quit counting. 34. Okay, 34. So most of your friends that you went through high school with, and, and you went to high school in Marshall, right? Worthington. Worthington, okay. Worthington. So most of your friends now have established careers. Yep. Step. How many, what percentage you think are in the agriculture industry down here in southwest Minnesota? I would say... There's a good percentage down there. Um, as I live now near Marshall, uh-huh. I would say over half my friends yeah. work in the egg industry or, or farm themselves. And uh, we also chase a lot of birds together. Well, that, that's the part B of my question is if half of your friends work in the egg industry, how many? what percentage of those folks are, are pheasant hunters? Most. The minute that corn gets harvested. Most. Yeah? Most. And wh- what's the linkage there other than the tradition i would say it's a lifestyle and just growing up in in rural minnesota you spent your time on gravel roads you started off with a bb gun uh, you started chasing cottontails or whatever it was um and it just kind of progressed from there mm-hmm. and um i know they love being in the field love doing harvest they like taking about a week off just to kind of rest get some sleep um, really so they they don't jump like harvest is over they don't jump right into pheasant hunting well a few do. Uh-huh. A few of the diehards do. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, they need to get a little bit of rest. They need to do a little maintenance and, and kind of clean up and take it easy. And and off we go with the blaze orange. And, Jeff, you talked about harvest hours coming to an end. You know, the the industry you work in is 
tied intimately to obviously agriculture. What about on the business side of things? Um, how many of those folks are out chasing roosters once, once the uh, harvest hours come to an end? Well, you know, I would say maybe, boy, that's a thirty percent. Okay, would kind of be my shot. You know, uh, um, the the farm uh, what, what, uh, dynamics, I guess you would say or even the age group of farmers nowadays. I mean, I don't know, Tanner, you probably see that a lot too, but um, if you look at some of their research and stuff, our average farmer is about 56 years old. Mm. And so, you know, from the standpoint of when they get done farming and what they do, a lot of the younger ones are hunters, yes, but a lot of the older ones, you know, they get harvest done and a little financial work, and then they're they're looking for their directions to Arizona or, mm. or Florida. So... Uh, so the average age of a Minnesota farmer is 56? If you look at the statistics from farmers and hunters, mm-hmm. as far as age groups, mm-hmm. um, lot the of percentages, a lot of parallels. Hmm. Lots. And what about um, folks that you both work with from a conservation perspective, both as a chapter volunteer, um, and then trying to sign up folks into conservation programs? How much of it is fueled by a desire to have wildlife on their own property because they enjoy the chase? You know, I think it's kind of twofold. Some of it's a, a economic decision because it's a business, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they're making a livelihood. And, you know, that's kind of where some of the work that we do with precision agriculture and looking at return on investment on acres um, and finding those revenue negative acres to enroll into conservation comes into play. But there's a, a very significant portion of individuals that thoroughly enjoy, whether they hunt or not, mm-hmm. um, thoroughly enjoy seeing wildlife, seeing the flush at the end as they're harvesting, taking their last row of corn, you know, and there's cottontails running out and pheasants flushing and deer running out. And just, I've talked to so many people that they enjoy that. So we were talking uh, with Matt Christensen, who's been uh, along the trip with us for the last couple of days, the Western Minnesota um, regional representative. And he was explaining, you know, those last four or five rows of corn and what happens. Explodes. Well, explain it because I've never been in a combine, right? Explain it to me what happens when you're a farmer you know the final couple of rows of a field what what's going on well generally speaking you know as you're harvesting you're taking some of their home away as you're combining the wildlife's home the wildlife's home because they've been living there for four months or depends Mm -hmm. on what kind of math you want to do there but and the wildlife just keeps on moving over moving Mm -hmm. over moving over moving Mm -hmm. over you get to that that last row and you're coming along and it'll hold in there tight really tight until like I don't know, the last 20 yards maybe? Could be. And just... So what do you see? Like how many pheasants, deer, what's all... It it sounds like Noah's Ark. It is, it is. What's in there? (laughs) A lot of cottontails. Are you you seeing like non-typical whitetails or their fox or their coyotes? What's in there? Secret. That's the secret. I've heard about... uh, We we had a a bear researcher on KFAN here this spring and they were talking about how bears were hibernating in standing corn and so last year right because it it was so wet that the the bears used the standing corn to den up and they'll put the hammer down on the corn too as far as 
So, yeah. I, I, like, when you're driving this combine, are you seeing bears flush out no, here? No, no, not southwest <laughs> Minnesota. Okay. No. <laughs> a few coyotes, some fox. Okay. Uh, Cottontails. How many pheasants? Well, it ranges just depending on what kind of habitat. What's in the, the most you've ever seen? 30-ish, maybe? Yeah. Something like that. And I, it, I'd take it's an explosion. Flush. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you ever coordinate? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's legal, to be honest with you. But, um, no, as far as, as, far as uh, whitetails, too, in this area, hmm. they'll continue to just keep on moving over, moving over, moving over, and jet out on that last row as well. Hmm. And actually, when we were doing the combine conversation, mm-hmm. which is on YouTube um, with Billy Gordon and Dan Jamber, um, there was a really nice buck that ran out of that that last row there down by. Yeah, I well, remember I won't that. Say where? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, so I have a very controversial question. I'm going to switch topics just a little. It, it's it came from. It was the last field Andrew and I were. We were at top of the hill watching everybody kind of um, sweep. We were the center of the pivot, and they were sweeping around. You were in that group, and as was Jeff. And, Jeff, you're going to be the um, the decider in this controversial oh, okay. question. So Tanner yesterday dropped a pin, which led to our golden hour hunt. Thank you, Dad. <laughs> You're welcome. It was Matt's over there laughing. Look at him. <laughs> it was it was a very birdie piece of public ground. What's the statute of limitations for hunting somebody's public spot if they're good friends? Like if if they were to it, it, now that they know the spot exists and it's public, so it all seriousness, right? Like people have lost friendships. Over this question. No, it, it happens every single year. Right. And as you, as you discussed earlier about how this weekend has the potential to be the best pheasant hunting weekend in Minnesota for 2020. Right, with and the crops I, coming. And, and I don't disagree with that considering what we're seeing right now and the number of birds that are out there. And as we were, we were standing there together, we were reminiscing about how great of a hunt that was last night mm. as we're getting our butts kicked by the wind <laughs> currently. You know, I'm surprised. Like, in order for us to have this conversation, the, the COVID rules were really like tough to follow because you yeah. had to yell at each other to, to even like have any sort of conversation. But it's, we were both kind of thinking, well, you know, that'd be a good spot to go back to. <laughs> Yeah, Bob, I, I don't know if we all just randomly showed up like on our own accord, but then saw each other there at the same time. That'd be kind of awkward. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, obviously, Andrew and I have been around the ballpark enough to know that's not cool. Right. And, and we we wouldn't show up at your spot, Tanner. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. But we would. You would at least call me. Right. Well, see. OK, so that's what I want to talk about. Like, what's the proper edi- etiquette? from your perspective because you know it's public ground but there's been effort made to figure out that that's a birdie spot and not all pieces of public ground has been made equal right so i'm gonna let tanner i'm gonna let you think about this for a moment because i'm dropping this on you but jeff you talked about earlier driving home from work and seeing these people park and hunting public ground on your way home. How often are they hunting the right stuff versus 
where you'd look and like, ah, oh, they should have been parked down the road. Yeah. yeah. It, the, the thing is you drive by so many of these, you know, so I, I, you know, it's 38 miles from here to my work. And so I drive different paths. There's four different paths I can take and they're all about the same. And it is, it's very interesting because when you go by some of them, you say, you know, I know there was a car there yesterday and mm-hmm. there's a car there today, mm-hmm. but the habitat just looks so damn good, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what draws people there. It's, it's the look of the property. The look from the roadside or the look where they've been there before and they know that it, it's, I think a, it's the look from the roadside. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if they've been there before, you know, you can kind of tell that too. So hmm. there's certain WMAs and stuff around that I know that when I drive by, and I see that pickup there that, that, okay, I've seen that pickup there before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good spot. S- good spot. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, I, I really got to say, though, I, I think we have very good hunter etiquette. You know, um, uh, you know, I have some favorite spots around, and I've taken numerous people hunting there before. And, you know, quite frankly, they could come there next week if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they'll call and say, Hey, are you thinking about hunting next mm. weekend? And are so are they inviting you along or sort of feeling you out? I, th- like? I think they're feeling you out. Uh-huh. But from the standpoint that they're practicing good etiquette and saying, yeah. "Hey, you know, if you're not going to be there, maybe I will be," and I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. You know, and and because quite frankly, when you look around and you start to look at the landscape, it does change mm-hmm. because we all know that we could go to that pin spot mm-hmm. and the next time and you know, you may not get a flush at all. Right. And you can drive to another place and say, I don't know why I'm going to let the dog out here, but I do. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know is, why didn't I hunt this more often? Right. So, you know, and that, that kind of goes with today. I mean, that last piece we hunted over there on Rooks, um, I've walked into that thing in the middle of winter time and spent an hour there, and you're like, this is worthless. Mm-hmm. Two weeks later, you go back. You, you don't make it a couple hundred yards, and you're done. Mm-hmm. You know, and so those birds do have a tendency to kind of move. The weather will push them into certain places, especially from the cattail standpoint, you know, and um, I think early season, you know, there's undoubtedly there's young birds Mm -hmm. that are easier to kill. Um, For some people. (laughs) (laughs) Are you saying not you? Uh, I've struggled a little bit, Tanner. You didn't witness it today. I didn't. I didn't. But... you know, it, it, full transparency, brother. At least you take credit for it. I mean, <laughs> hey, I'm not a pro. I'm just a marketing guy. <laughs> but, you know, I think that's what. So when you get these guys that do drive around a little bit, yeah. I, I think that's what they're looking for is the, they'll look at the habitat, yeah. you know, and uh, what, what does that got? Mm-hmm. So I think that's what really attracts a lot of people. But over the years, you know, I've been out here for 18 and, um, you know, you do kind of see some of the same people mm-hmm. every year, um, but uh, they kind of have their spots and yep. they move through them. So, all right, Tanner, back to you. You shared a public spot, but it's a spot you've spent some time figuring out that it's birdie. Yes. You've you take a friend there. What do you expect out of that friend? after you've had after you and that friend have had a terrific experience bird hunting and because it's a complex question right because we want you brought that friend there because you wanted success 
Yep. We want people to be energized by these public spots. You want them to have success. You want them to feel empowered to go do it. At the same time, you put a lot of legwork into figuring it out. A lot of times, right? Yeah. <clears throat> How do you navigate? Like for for folks that are you know coming in to bird hunting this year because the bird numbers are up a hundred and thirty six percent. Forty six. One hundred forty six percent. Yeah, I don't even. I, I don't even have the margin at 10% error this year. <laughs> so up 146%, what do you want new hunters to think about when a public spot is shared with them? You know, for me, I'm Bob, I'm a pretty easygoing guy. Um, I just like to see people have success, mm-hmm. so I don't have any issues with providing an area. Um, I would say for any new hunters out there, just a phone call, like Jeff was saying. You know, I'm going to go out there. Do you want to go chase birds? And uh, generally speaking, you're going to go hunt with them because you know it's a good spot. Yeah. So, like, if Andrew just said, hey, I'm thinking about next Saturday on a podcast, is that enough? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> sure? Sure? <laughs> no, that's, that's fine. I'm going to call up Jeff anyways because I know he's got a great dog. And we'll, we'll hammer it out together. No, <laughs> I'm just fun. kidding. I would – <laughs> be more than happy to join him in well, the field. He he was also pretty strategic too because um, you know be- between the, the property that, that he and Megan were were able to come up with, it's ginormous, mm-hmm. and we could have spent our entire day there, and we could have spent day two there, and day three there, and day four there. Like it was so big that he had he had to have known like well there's there's nothing they can really do to it <laughs> it wasn't like a there, tiny little little walk-in access area so there is a portion of it that's better than others and that's the portion you went to so what do you think draws that portion what for that one in particular it's a recent acquisition um worked with a local farmer on acquiring it hmm. um actually excluded a chunk of good crop ground and the farmer kept that and then pheasants forever purchase the rest through the acquisition um so it's probably on its third or fourth year planting as far as the habitat goes Mm. and it just it produces birds it's got that early successional niche to it um you know it's not not getting out competed with warm season grasses or brome cool season grasses Mm. it's just a habitat type that produces birds so somebody that's not a biologist that is driving by the side of the road, southwest Minnesota. They're coming for three-day weekend. How Can you coach them on what to look for? I would say it's kind of a visual thing that mm-hmm. you kind of get used to, right? Um, but diversity, I think, is, is key, early in the year especially, mm-hmm. looking for that diversity, looking for edges, you know, is there a wetland edge out there? Um, are you no, are you noticing there's forbs out there or remnants of forbs? Um, and, you know, not a monoculture of of big blue stem or brome grass. It's pretty – asked a similar question yesterday to Megan. She had a very similar answer. Very similar. I, Two I'm, biologists in a row are basically it, telling it, you what it looks But it changes by season. I will <laughs> say that. Yep, so so you're true there. And it's, it's funny that – the more we hang out with biologists, the more I think, oh man, all, all upland people are the same. Because I used to think grouse hunters, like rough grouse hunters, were just like so obsessive over the age classes of, <laughs> of timber stands. It's like, 
give me a break. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's birds here and there. Yeah. I know <laughs> I want an Aspen the size of my wrist, whatever. We'll mm-hmm. go find some birds, but this trip, especially it's been incredibly noticeable. The difference between a planting that was like two years ago versus that three to four years ago, yep. this, the, the undergrowth that is or isn't there, the whether how stocky it is and, and good it is for the dogs to run through and whether it actually held birds. And so now I'm thinking of grasses and age classes, mm-hmm. and that's something I've never done before. Mm-hmm. I've just kind of looked for, for good grasses. I'm a blue, blue stem guy because I actually identify that one, you know. It's Turkey like, foot. Yeah, right. So, so that's, <laughs> that's what I've always keyed in on. But now I'm noticing, like, the real intricate differences in different ages of grasses, and I'm hoping that takes my hunting to another mm-hmm. level because I am one of those guys that's just tooling around in the pickup looking at different WMAs, WPAs, walk-in access areas. Like I am the guy Jeff's describing. And I oftentimes don't know where to start because I don't always have a, have a pin land in my lap. <laughs> I know people find that hard to believe, but I'm just out there doing it alone. Mm-hmm. And that's where hearing this from both you and Megan is super beneficial. Yeah, it, it, it's uncanny how similar, you know, Megan talking about – Forbes and one thing that she did a really nice job of pointing out is look for the dead seed heads or right the flowers that I mean they're still visual this time of year and think about the different levels of structure right and and you can start looking for some of these things that you know from the truck it looks like just a weedy mess right and that's where you want to pull over and go hunt yes or somewhere nearby because those you know first one to two year plantings um they look like a mess, like you said, to, mm-hmm. to the normal eye. Um, but they produce a lot of birds. Mm-hmm. It it's gets great, tough great to great hunt. Broods. It's great for it broods. It gets tough to hunt Yep. because there's a lot of room for those birds to run, and they're going to be running on you. Um, so if, if you have that situation, find some grass close by that's a little thicker where they're going to hold, and you'll have luck. Always look for those crop lines, too. Crop I mean, lines, yeah. Mm-hmm. On rooks there where we hit all the birds along the corn. Yep. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yep, yep. Jeff, how long have you been volunteering with uh, Buffalo Ridge Chapter Pheasants Forever? 16 years. It's a long time. Why do you, why do you keep doing it? <laughs> well, uh, passion let's, for birds. Let's start it. Uh, why did you start 16 years ago? Um, you know, a little camaraderie mm-hmm. uh, and just the passion to hunt and and the fact was you know i've i've seen them go up and down the bird numbers the bird numbers uh when i came into let's see in uh late 80s uh i was in northwest iowa and we were coming out of a a cr heavy crp program with uh border strips and all kinds of stuff and iowa had birds you know and then we went got rid of that program went back to more fence row to fence row and you see the birds disappear hmm. and so then when i came to this area because um, you moved here in 2002 two, yeah uh so and that would have been like uh 2002 uh a lot of lincoln county was heavy crp at that time um you know and then as the programs manipulate and you see the crp fall off you see the bird numbers mm-hmm. fall off and so if there's not somebody out there promoting and pushing for habitat, mm-hmm. uh, we will lose it. Mm-hmm. So, 
You know, and and I like Pheasants Forever from a lot of standpoints, um, but it's one of those things, I think one of the most important things for us is we keep our money local. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people see that. So explain that for folks that are listening that may not be super familiar with what you mean. Well, so as a chapter, um, we make somewhere in the neighborhood of twelve to $15,000 from our fundraising. At a banquet. At a banquet, whatever we may do. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and we take that money and we in, reinvest it locally. And in Lincoln County, In Minnesota. Lincoln County. But that's not to say, I mean, there's, there's benefits to send that money to other parts of the state or even other states because once you start to share and partner, it comes back to you. Mm. So anyway, um, that's what got me involved in PF, and uh, I like the habitat part of it. And uh, I think that's what we do an excellent job of is promoting and putting our money in the ground. Mm. Is there a signature project that you're most proud of in those 16 years? No, no. I mean, we have, we have a, as a chapter and we as an organization mm. have done a lot of good ones. Mm. I mean, you can see the block we're building down along the Gilson Lake area. Mm. So that's very rewarding because in the last four years, we've been able to add 420 acres wow. to 1,600 that was already there along with another 200 WMA that sits off to the north. So a very nice block. You've seen it. Mm-hmm. It's big. Mm-hmm. It's hard to hunt <laughs> in the wind. Especially you know? on camera with a, <laughs> with a group. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I, do I have a signature one? No. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we, we've, we've done some work in all of Lincoln County, mm-hmm. whether that's, you know, north of Ivanhoe or down by Lake Benton or over by Tyler. Mm. And uh, we got a lot of nice projects. And um, one thing about our projects that I think is very important is the partnerships. Because uh-huh. as a chapter that makes twelve, fifteen thousand, 15,000, I mean, we've, through grants and other relationships, I mean, we've, we've put together million-dollar projects. Right. Right. You couldn't buy that. No. That parcel with $12,000 no. in, in banquet no. that's coming through partnerships with other chapters, legacy amendment, DNR, fish and wildlife yep. service. Yep. Yep. So those relationships are and partnerships are invaluable. You, and you talked about kind of a desire to have some new blood <laughs> join, join the chapter, which is not uncommon. So, you know, podcast listenership generally is, a younger demographic perfect what do you want what do you want them to know um well uh we meet uh, the last tuesday of every month and uh you know one of the things i i think you've got to look at it from the chapter standpoint of what rewards you get Mm -hmm. so you know yeah do you put a little time in yeah you put a little time in you know it it takes several weeks to put the banquet together and then there's the big night and you know you spend a week before that getting everything ready but I mean that's really minimal time Mm -hmm. but the rewards that you can drive away and say hey you know our chapter our PF was part of that project and and that's where the reward is and so as a younger person I think that's what they need to look at is you know what what 
do they think they could help develop? Something that you've alluded to that I've seen happen with other younger folks that join and become volunteers is you talked about moving from Iowa to Minnesota in 2002-ish, and a couple years later you got involved with the chapter. And what I've seen is when people move to a new place in pheasant Mm -hmm. country and they volunteer, they're doing that as you talk about to do some good things for habitat, but they're also doing it to expand kind of their friend network and sort of figuring out places to go hunt and (laughs) how to hunt that area. Is there some truth in that? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, as, as you start to develop areas, I mean, you know, personally I wouldn't have known about Rook until you get involved in that. And Mm. then you, okay, I got to go check this out after you acquire it, you know. So you start checking it out, and you're like, that's a lot better than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the other thing, um, I was involved with PF down in Iowa. Mm. And so, you know, if you do have a career that kind of moves you around or whatever, mm-hmm. it's always nice because let's say you're, you know, you're living in Clay County, Iowa, mm-hmm. and you move to Lincoln County, Minnesota, and you go look up the Pheasants Forever chapter, well, hey, you know, there's some relationships there that you can develop rather mm-hmm. quickly. And, you know, you probably have some things in common. And, you know, uh, they may know a few good hunting spots. <laughs> <laughs> you might meet a guy like Tanner and he drops you the pin to exactly. Valhalla. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I'd add to what Jeff had said about, um, you know, just making a difference and, and feeling a part of the community. Mm. Um, through the chapter, there's all kinds of different opportunities whether it be a cleanup day where you're out, you know, actually in your boots, got gloves on, you know, getting dirty, mm-hmm. pulling fence. Um, if that's what you like, there's opportunities there. If it's the social aspect, that's obviously there. We can mm-hmm. all feel it around the table right now. Um, and if it's just a community thing, I mean, there's just a lot of support from the community, a lot of uh, support and and working with the clay target leaks mm-hmm. locally. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking at, you know, getting involved at that level, there's just a lot of opportunity to volunteer and, and make that difference locally. So I would I would definitely encourage it. So folks, it's certainly a ton of people in the Twin Cities area, right, listen to the podcast. But in beyond, I mean, I'm certain we have listeners in Lincoln County that are probably not part of your chapter. Um, Jeff, how do they get a hold of you? How do they, how do they um, raise their hand and become a volunteer with your chapter and and same thing for for tanner because i know you're involved with the lyon county chapter too yep yeah well like i said we do meet every last tuesday of the month but you know uh uh jay davis at prairiegreenpartners.com jay davis at prairiegreenpartners.com that's that's my email address and um, you can call me on the phone at uh, 507 317-5833. Three one seven five eight three three. Cool, and you don't have to live here, because no. like, there's an awful lot of folks that come out this way to hunt, and it's a great way to give back, is to, par- to back. participate with the local chapter. And uh, you know, one one thing about the chapters too, um, we kind of talked about the partnership thing, but the other thing is the local sponsorship. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, whether that's a, a you know the local contractor or um, that we have some great sponsors. I mean, uh, our, our, we float between 65 and 72 sponsors hmm. for our chapter. 
And that's anywhere from a $300 sponsorship to a $1,000 sponsorship. And this year with COVID-19, mm-hmm. uh, we did not have our banquet. So we just sent out our, our sponsorship list and we're probably going to have 60% success or better. Yeah. So people do care and they're willing. Once you establish and people see your work, they're willing to invest in your work. What's, what's the biggest town in Lincoln County? And is that where you hold your banquet? Be Ivanhoe, wouldn't it? You know, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, no, I, I would say Tyler. Okay. And where, where's your banquet held? Our, our banquet's held in Lake Benton. Oh, okay. Yep. And that's a little ways north of here. Uh, a little way south. 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 I'm, my geography's all <laughs> messed up. <clears throat> uh, yeah, so we've been, uh, actually when the chapter got started, it got started in Elkton, South Dakota, just across mm. the border. Uh, but we've kind of called our home Lake Benton. Okay. And, uh. You know, we get good participation from, uh, you know, Tyler Hendricks. Mm-hmm. Hendricks is, is a strong supporter for us. Uh, Ivanhoe, of course, got a few in Minneota. And so we get a lot of local good sponsorships. And it ranges so, from a Mon store on Main yep. Street all the way to a John Deere dealership yep. and everything in between. And tell us how to reach uh, you, Tanner. You can reach me personally yep. at T Bruce, B R U S is in Sam E at pheasantsforever.org. Um, you can go online. I mean, pretty much every chapter usually has a Facebook page. We do have so, a Facebook page. Yes. So that's a great resource to just log on, whatever your county is. Um, on the website itself, pheasantsforever.org, there's find a chapter on there right you can just type in your zip code and you can find a chapter anywhere yep. in the country it, but if somebody lives in the marshall area and wants to volunteer you, you volunteer with uh, in addition to working for pheasants forever i do right you I volunteer do. with lion county i have chapter. the best job banquet chair there you go so folks can um, email you to volunteer or they can email you to learn about um things to do on their property using yep. precision ag conservation programs um whole list of resources absolutely and that's you know one of the other things i forgot to mention this earlier but when you're kind of looking for a place to hunt oftentimes if you just pull up aerial imagery and whether it's public or private look for the grassland and there's a good chance there's going to be a lot of birds there <laughs> because there's a lot of a lot of farmers locally here that that do a lot of great conservation work um, even a knock on the door might get you on that mm. private land. As we round out the recap of day three, we, we've told folks it was windy. <laughs> hey, uh, at, at one point, Andrew, you laughed. There was a corn leaf flying through the field that we were walking, and my dog started chasing it. And he looks <laughs> at me and goes, can't blame him. <laughs> something that almost looked like it had wings. It's in the air. It's floating by, and the dog just took a hard right turn and started chasing the corn stalk. And it's just like, oh, this is just too comical. <laughs> we did see birds today. You know, it was, a, it was tough conditions all the way around. It was incredibly windy. We did walk, what do we say, 9.5 miles? Yeah, Matt's watch yeah. said he put on over 9 miles today. So we covered ground, and, you know, normally on Rooster Road Trip, we don't hunt sun up to sun down, but we came close. We didn't even stop for lunch um, today. We 
we tried to hammer it out, but it was, um, there are birds here and there, and we left them here for, we left almost for the weekend. all of them here. Uh, but luckily Megan, uh, was able to connect today. Yeah. So, so we got a few feathers in the, uh, in the vest, which means, um, we can jump to content without as much bird cleaning tonight, right? That, that's true. I, that's a very optimistic way of looking <laughs> at, at uh, how today uh, turned out. Uh, all right. So as we, as we we're going to get to, we got a few Instagram questions tonight, right? And before we jump to that, I'll remind listeners, um, thanks to the Rooster Road Trip sponsors. We got six of them that uh, have contributed real hard cash to Pheasants Forever in support of our Habitat mission to make Rooster Road Trip happen. Apple Autos uh, supplying the Rooster Road Trip truck as well as being a sponsor. Garmin, um, we talked about the uh, Alpha 200i, and there's a blog on the website. Uh, they've been a longtime sponsor of Rooster Road Trip. Roughland Kennels, keeping our dogs safe, even in 45-mile-an-hour <laughs> wind gusts. Uh, they are comfortably resting in their Roughland Kennels, the official kennel of pheasants forever and quail forever federal ammunition we we like to uh, uh we conserve that today. use well yeah we, we like to use their slogan shoot them up uh, they'll make more uh we didn't have a ton of opportunities today but mm. tomorrow when we move uh, further north uh and i guess north northeast northeast from here um, hopefully we'll have an opportunity to squeeze the trigger on our Browning shotguns um, using federal ammunition um, a little bit more in the next couple of days. And then sound gear, uh, protecting our hearing even with 45 mile an hour wind gusts. Uh, <laughs> uh, check out the new Phantom. Um, and Andrew writes in his blog, and I didn't know this because we just got these, um, the sound gear Phantoms. Well, I got mine on on Sunday night when we all met in. Um, I'm losing track of days. Where did we Jackson meet? Jackson, County, yeah. Jackson. That you can use Bluetooth, which I knew for the Phantoms, but you can connect it to your phone and actually play music through your Sound Gear hearing devices. Oh yeah, they're they're just they're earbuds with a purpose now, because not only can you go to the gym, mow the lawn, chop wood, what what have you. Um, but it also works to enhance your hearing while you're afield and protects your hearing when you're shooting a shotgun. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> if you were going to play a song, Tanner, while you were walking a pheasant field, is there a song that you would play? Oh, man, you put me on the spot. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll pass. Come back to me. <laughs> it was an odd question. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then finally, uh, take the Responsible Recreation Pledge at responsible-recreation.org. We are in the midst of a pandemic, so um, it's a great time to get outside and go pheasant hunting. Just do it six feet apart. And uh, we all were wearing, well, most of us were wearing buffs today just to keep the corn debris out of our mouths anyways <laughs> all I right got, i got an answer for you oh you got a sound a song for me yeah probably acdc thunderstruck <laughs> shout out that's to a my, good one shout out to my dad 
I was expecting like the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Oh, like, that the, was the, the gales of November came early. And, you know. I, I am still shocked at how much you were in love with Gordon Lightfoot. Why wouldn't you be? I, I'm just. It's just <laughs> such an. It doesn't fit your personality, really. I don't know. He's just that good. I guess. I he's, guess. <laughs> is Neil Diamond your second favorite? No, I, I've he's never up. really gotten into Neil. I guess I've never really. Barry. Given, I've never given him a fair shake. No. <laughs> but Gordon Lightfoot and Neil Diamond. I'm uh, close. Yeah. Well, maybe not. <laughs> All right. Let's go to Instagram. All right. I, I got a, a couple questions here. So we all have bird dogs around the table. How are you making sure your dogs are getting enough water on warmer early season days? Mm. Yeah, you guys had to really dive in through that and opening weekend. What do you? What, any tricks for making sure they're hydrated? I carry the water bottle and uh, I make sure that they drink before and after the, mm-hmm. the hunt. But uh, yeah, you're right. You know, it's, it doesn't take long to go through a water bottle. No. Yeah, I got a Orca thermos type deal that I leave in my truck full of water and then i got a one liter pop bottle that i routinely fill up and and stop I, you can usually tell when the dog is starting to get warm and you know the tongue's flying everywhere and kind of come up to you and refresh them out in the field so for folks that are like i can't get my dog to drink out of a water bottle in the field you got any tips for them no, just gets thirsty enough. I mean, well, there there is some truth in that. Like dogs that struggle to drink water, if they get thirsty, they'll do it. But the trick, so the, I wouldn't advise doing this during hunting season, but you can do it in the summer. Put a little peanut butter around the nozzle oh. of that water bottle, and it'll train that dog um, to connect water with that bottle, and and they'll come to you. You know, it doesn't take but three times, and it'll be a done deal for them. Nice. I've never had any issues yeah. yet. Most dogs like to drink. All right. This isn't as much of an issue this year because crops are coming out at almost a record pace. But where can you find birds midday besides corn? Hmm. I got to look at the two local guys that are surrounded <laughs> by corn most of the year. You know, I always kind of look. So if you come into a field and you kind of look, I always look for the indentations, you know, the low draws, um, maybe where the potholes have been or whatever. I kind of like to watch those indentations. Hmm. Let's look for edges. Yep. Yep. For me, go early and go late. Cause those birds will be coming back to the grassland in the afternoon, hit the golden hour. If we're looking at midday, I think it's just enjoying your bird dog and going out on a hike and seeing what turns up. I, I think that's really good advice. It, it's tough to stop and kind of kill time. When mm-hmm. you're around uh, a beautiful section of habitat, but a lot of times you're just kind of burning your dog out mm-hmm. during that portion of the day. And if your dog was at full speed for the last hour and a half of the day, you'd probably be a lot more productive and possibly more fun too mm. uh, if you just save them for that. Uh, Bob, this one's for you. Uh oh. Is it uh, dispatches from nowhere again? It's not. We gave away <laughs> his personal email address and he's stopped responding. So. Um, Minnesota has great public land. How far outside the Twin Cities do you need to go to get to it? Oh, wow. Not very far, honestly. Um, Most people feel like they have to go down to Marshall. And to find the most birds, you're going to go to Lyon County. You're going to go to Lincoln County. You're going to go to Nobles and Jackson. But if you only got a day, you can get into birdie cover in 45 minutes of the Twin Cities. And every... 
every half hour further you go, you get into better cover and better bird numbers. But if you really got to make it uh, 45 minutes from the Twin Cities and honestly from a half circle from Hinkley to Mille Lacs, um, down through McLeod County, like uh, Glencoe, Hutchinson, um, and keep swinging a uh, half circle all the way, you know, down to, I'm keeping swinging here, um, Wasika, um, Owatonna, Albert Lee, you know, you can really, if you need to zip down 35 and go to Wasika, Owatonna, Albert Lee, and you can find really good public land. It's not going to be like in Marshall, but if you got if you got one day, you can make birds happen. Do you ever spend a weekend at home? No. The way you just rattled <laughs> off basically Minnesota from <laughs> north to south, it's just like, my goodness. Yeah. It's like, I, no wonder this guy's got three bird dogs <laughs> out yeah. of his house. It's, you got to keep them rotating. Yeah. It's like, yeah. holy cow. In that, it, well, I don't. I, I, I'm never home on a weekend. You can't during kill them the on the couch. No. Well, it, it, you know, I've talked about you know, just fundamentally, my, my wife and I have never been able to have kids, so we just keep adding dogs. <laughs> and, and with dogs, I don't have to go to dance class or, you know, I'm sure it's wonderful, uh, but I have to take my dogs hunting on Saturday. And that means, uh, you know, look out pheasant. Well, they don't have much to look out for because I can't, can't hit them. <laughs> Those dark pheasants, they're being disturbed again. Yeah. <laughs> Bob's we, out there harassing the wildlife. <laughs> we like to chase them. Educating them. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so um, I, I spend my weekends on the road. Very cool. It's fun, and this is the best time of the year. Gentlemen, thank you very much for spending the day with us. Jeff, uh, in particular, 16 years as a volunteer. Um, thank you sincerely on behalf of, you know, a group of folks that get paid to work for Pheasants Forever. Um, and you do it because you care about the mission and, and you volunteer your time. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I got a good group. Yeah, you talk, you've raved about the, the folks that are helping as volunteers yep. here in um, Lincoln County. Yep, so... But we'd like to have some young we'd young like, blood helping too. Blood, yeah, I, I don't, another sixteen. You're not going to get another sixteen. <laughs> Tanner, thanks very much. Thanks Thank for you. sharing that pin with us. Always a pleasure. <laughs> and we've got, you know, you had Megan Howell on the show yep. yesterday. Great farm bill biologist, great person overall. Uh, we've got twenty of those individuals scattered throughout Minnesota. Uh, you can go on our website and click on Find a Biologist um, and look for habitat advice. Andrew, closing thoughts, Rooster Road Trip, day number three. Um, you know, we, we started the Rooster Road Trip 2020 edition with probably the most prolific start we've ever had. From a bird perspective, uh, yeah. From a bird, from a bird perspective. Um, the story from day three and just encountering the wind we did and – just the curveball that was, <laughs> it was actually kind of fun. Oh, yeah. It was so it was so ridiculous. It was fun and watch, watching people trying to just navigate that. And then we're standing up on a bluff and we see Jeff's hat blow off mm -hmm. his head. And it's like, holy cow, that thing just went like forty yards. <laughs> we watched that whole yeah. thing and it went. I mean, it literally flew forty yards. Yeah. So it was just it was a riot. You know, it's great that Megan was able to get, to get the bird, but 
at the end of the day, it's not what right. this is all about. It's having you know fun with your friends afield on public lands that are available to all of us. Um, so anybody can get out there and have a good time, and we can prove that you don't need to slam birds all day to, to have a great yeah. time. Well said. All right, folks. Day four comes at you tomorrow, Thursday. We're heading north, we're heading east, and we'll tell you all about it tomorrow on The Wing Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Bob St. Pierre saying always follow the dog. Something good will rise, and I probably am not going to be able to hit it. (laughs) Thanks for listening.